Welcome to the Erickson Covenant Podcast. We are so glad that you've joined us today. We confess that we don't have all the answers, but as a community, we seek to find and follow Jesus and to discover daily the life he has always wanted for us. We hope this message will be encouraging and will inspire you to take the next steps on your spiritual journey. If we can help you in any way, please connect with us. The easiest way is through our website at ericksoncovenant.ca. Let's get started. Good apprentices are always getting better at their trade, aren't they? That's the goal. In particular, uh, striving to become more proficient in what you could say are the core fundamentals of their particular profession, whatever that is. If you're a carpenter, you need to understand the fundamentals of building something, right? You need to become proficient in the tools of your trade and learn how to build things straight and true. As a mechanic, you understand or you are trying to understand the fundamentals of, I had to reach for this one, combustion. So you can diagnose and solve problems with the whole of the vehicle, the engine or the transmission or the alignment or or more. As a clinical counselor, you have to understand the fundamentals of human communication, what it takes for a human to flourish in relationships, as well as the ways that we as humans like to delude ourselves and hide (laughs) so that a clinical counselor can effectively help people who are both hurting themselves and hurting others, helping them move past that and flourish. I could go on, but I think you get my point, right? Every trade has core fundamentals that every master knows and every apprentice, uh, apprentice is working to master. And it's the same for apprentices of Jesus. This is the metaphor we've been working with, understanding how, what it means to follow Jesus. Often we use the word discipleship, but we've been using the word apprenticeship to try to capture some of what that means for us who are followers of Jesus or for those of us who are wondering what it means to follow Jesus, that we think of ourselves as apprentices to Jesus. And as apprentices to Jesus, we want to become more proficient in the core fundamentals of our profession too. Fundamentals like the knowledge of who God is and how he has created us to flourish as human images or the core fundamental of of the discipline of reading and understanding and applying God's word to our lives and to our relationships the commitment to serving the body of Christ and the world at large with the gifts that God has given to us. Uh, the practice of a humble confession of sin and our need for forgiveness or the daily practice of submitting to the leadership of the Holy Spirit and so on. Core fundamentals to our profession as Christians. One of the core fundamentals of being a Christian has to do with reproduction. That is, as apprentices of Jesus, we are actually responsible to create more apprentices. Jesus called it making disciples, and if we've been around for any amount of time, we're familiar with that. I mean, he commanded us to do it just before he ascended to his father's throne. So the question I have this morning is, how do we get better at this core fundamental? How do we become more proficient as apprentices of Jesus, in identifying and encouraging people who could become apprentices of Jesus? That's our question today. Now, I want to admit first off, of course, that we don't often see what's going on in people's lives, right? I mean, we have to express and believe that, that the Holy Spirit is at work, and there's times when we don't know what's going on in that person's life, in their relationship. We can always trust the Holy Spirit is at work, even when we have no idea what's happening. But there are often signs that we can see. Noteworthy indicators that this person could be a candidate for apprenticing with Jesus. Like they just might be open to learning more and even coming to follow Jesus wholeheartedly. And so our master class today in Luke is a lesson in this important work of apprenticeship creation. We're going to see how Jesus identified and then encouraged some of his first disciples. And I hope in doing so, we're able to see more effectively how we, if we are apprentices of Jesus, can do the same. 
So we're in Luke chapter 5. If you've been traveling with us, you know we've been working this through for a while. If you are new or visiting for the weekend, welcome here. Um, I hope you can be encouraged by what we walk through today. We're just going to walk through this story, the first 11 verses of Luke chapter 5. We're going to pull out and reflect on four key ways that we can identify and encourage potential apprentices of Jesus. Luke chapter 5, verse 1. Look it up online, look it up on your phone, look it up on a Bible, but I encourage you to hold, hold it in front of you as we dive into it. So one day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, that's the Sea of Galilee, just a different name for the same body of water, uh, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. The first thing we see is that potential apprentices of Jesus can be identified by their openness to hearing and their hunger to learn. You know, as Jesus was teaching, these people were eager, weren't they? That's what Luke tells us. They're listening intently. They're crushing in. They want to hear more from Jesus about this good news of the kingdom, the word of God. And that openness to hear, that eagerness to get close, is a powerful indication that in some sense, they were all potential apprentices of Jesus. And while Jesus is teaching, he's watching closely. He's trying to see into people's eyes, those who are leaning forward, those who are on the hunt, those who are glued, wanting to know more, because he's going to be looking for those who might be open to take the next step. You see, when people want to learn and listen, when they're demonstrating a hunger for God's word, they often demonstrate a kind of humility that we need to watch for, a humility that's crucial for the next steps in their spiritual life. Because there'll often be some kind of admission in some way or another where a person is saying, you know, there's got to be more. Or I don't really know what to do. Or I'm not satisfied with life as it is. And there's a hunger. And we need to be on a lookout for that in the people that are around us, the people who we are connected with. I had lunch with a young man this week who is very hungry for truth. We have a new friendship, and he approached me with some spiritual questions and wondered if we could connect and chat more. I told him I was too busy. (laughs) I said, yes, when can we meet? Well, a few years ago, this young man was an atheist. He'd been an atheist his whole life, as far as he can remember. But through reading some spiritual books, both Christian and non-Christian, the Holy Spirit had, had worked. It is at work, and it moved him from a place of atheism to an openness now to some kind of a God. And so we got together to explore his questions. And he was open to hear. He's hungry for more. And I can tell you, nothing brings me more delight than that kind of a conversation. Give it to me all day and you'll never see me in this building. But more conversations are coming and I'm excited about that. Well, like Jesus here in this story, we need to always be on the lookout for people like this. And when we're attentive and the Holy Spirit is tuning our eyes, we can often see it happening and then even do something to facilitate that hearing more. Jesus here in this story, he does two interesting things to facilitate the hungry people. Did you notice that? The first thing he did is he got into a boat so more people could hear him. If you've been around the story of Jesus for a while, you've probably heard that this boat thing works. Get them a little distance because the crowd is crushing in. It's hard to have a broader conversation and teach when people are in so close. So he gets into the boat. He gets a little distance from the crush of the crowd and also able to project his voice over the acoustics of the water. Brilliant move. But there's something else here too, and I don't want you to miss this. Because he also drew in a man that he's already been working with. A fisherman named Simon. When he asked him if he could use his boat, actually he crawled into his boat and then said, can you push it out? You see, Simon's already been tracking with Jesus. Remember how Jesus had gone to Simon's house and healed Simon's mother-in-law from a fever not too long ago, just before in this story. And then how people had lined up, presumably at Simon's own door, to be healed late into the night. 
Simon's there watching this happen. Simon has already had a front row seat to this man, Jesus, and his power and his authority and his character. But now, in this story, he just got over, uh, just got off the sea after a long night fishing, and he's been washing up his nets. I'm sure he's completely exhausted. He's frustrated because how much fish did he catch the night before? None. So, you know, that's even worse. So he's, he's probably a bit frustrated, he's tired, and maybe just wanted to get home. Perhaps he was working there, kind of on the edge of the crowd. But when Jesus asked him, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use your boat here, can you just give it a shove out in the water? Simon is now re-engaged with what Jesus is doing and saying. He's kind of drawn, drawn in, perhaps, into the teaching of this rabbi Jesus. He might have even gotten into the boat with Jesus, because, you know, you can't trust those people with my boat So Jesus might be in the boat. Peter or Simon Peter might have been sitting there in the boat. And what we see here is that Jesus wants everyone, wants to facilitate the possibility for anyone who's hungry to be able to hear, and in this case, even Simon. And so the first point, we identify potential apprentices of Jesus when we notice people who are asking questions. People who are leaning in. People want to know more. And they're seeking out. There's a quest going on. And, and it might have led them into strange places. I know in conversations I have with people, man, people can be dabbling in some weird stuff, reading some strange material, doing and going to some odd places. Have you noticed that? But it's all a sign of a desire to know or to discover. And by the Holy Spirit, we can see what's behind that quest. This is a person who wants to know more, who desires purpose who is searching for the only one who can make sense of their lives. And the reality is Jesus sees any quest for truth, any quest for hope, any flicker of desire for meaning and faith is a sign that this person could be a potential apprentice of his. And so Jesus was teaching and looking for people who might be ready to go further. I think you can see we have a part to play in this. We have a part to play where we willingly engage, of course, in the conversations people are having, extending to them hospitality, inviting them into our lives, maybe even creating environments where it's safe to ask questions. People, people need that safety to ask questions and not feel like they're going to get trounced if they say the wrong thing. And we have a role to even take responsibility to talk about Jesus in ways that are accessible to those around us so that those who are eager to hear might lean in and learn more. So that's the first thing. But the second thing we notice is that potential apprentices will often demonstrate a tentative willingness to trust and obey. A tentative willingness to trust and obey. Let's read on verses 4 and 5. When he, Jesus, had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Uh, Put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, "Uh, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you said so, say so, I will let down the nets. You know, Jesus, I, I love it. Jesus asked for a boat to teach from and now is using that very boat as a way of strategically engaging with this fisherman more deeply. Jesus knows they've been out all night. That's pretty clear. They've been washing their nets right there while he's been talking, right? Jesus knows they didn't catch anything either. That would have been obvious. And still, he tells Simon to try fishing again. And that would have seemed silly to Simon. I mean, if they didn't catch anything during the prime time, why in the world would they think they'd have success now during the worst time of the day? And I think there must have been a lot of things going through Simon's head at this point, don't you? Not the least of which being, I just cleaned the nets. (laughs) But there was also something about Jesus. His character, his way, his voice, his authority, his track record. He did heal. He did did heal my wife's mom. You know, that kind of thing. Well, I guess what can it hurt? And Luke's already drawn our attention to how Jesus speaks and teaches with such authority. So maybe that was prompting Simon here. I mean, maybe I'll just extend myself a little bit further. Maybe I'm, I'm willing to even obey Jesus even if it doesn't quite make sense to me. I mean, Simon knew fishing. What did Jesus know? The word of God clearly, but fishing, it's a practical thing. And yet there's something about him. So Simon moves to do what Jesus told him to do. But he does voice his concern. I love it. We've worked hard all night and didn't catch anything. And then there's that little but, which is so crucial for our lives. And I think what Jesus was watching for here 
But because you say so, I will let down the nets. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. And this is the second way we can identify a potential apprentice of Jesus. When we see people who start trying, who start applying, who maybe lean in and, and they're taking a verse or they're, 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 they're trying a little experiment with the trustworthiness of God. Maybe they're, they, maybe they're taking something from the teaching of Jesus about anger and they're actually trying to like work it out in this relationship where they have a lot of anger. Or, or maybe there's something they read in, in, in one of the New Testament letters uh, and they're thinking, I think, I think I'm going to try this in my relationship with my, my brother or, or my wife. They're starting to implement things. They don't necessarily understand how it fits, but there's a willingness to explore or try. Or maybe it's someone who's decided, I'm going to start praying and asking God. I'm not even sure I believe in God, but I'm going to start asking God if he's real. And that little move, that indication that there's a willingness to extend or try or make a move, that is so significant. It's a sign that the Spirit is at work and something is shifting. And Simon's willingness here to haul his freshly washed nets back out into the water to then let them down, knowing that it, come on, there's not going to be any more fish, people, right? Are you with me? But that was a move to trust, wasn't it? It was a move to apply, to do something, actually, with what Jesus was saying, to actually even come under the authority of Jesus in some way, and that move becomes a watershed moment in Simon's life. But because you say so. And that kind of leads us to a second practical point here. Not only do we need to be looking for these little moves to obey, we can also encourage them too. We can, it's okay, you know, you can tell people, why don't you try following Jesus and see how it works? You can. Sometimes I think we get stuck on this all or nothing. Like, unless you're ready to give up everything and follow, don't even try anything at all. Well, that's not true. These guys didn't have any idea what what was going to happen to them when they started following Jesus. They were told, why don't you just come along? And we can do that too. We can encourage people to try Jesus. Take what they're reading in the Gospels and begin to live it out. Why don't you read one of the Gospels and see what Jesus is like? And we can encourage people to actually try and, and learn and discover and begin to put into practice the teaching of Jesus, the teaching of the scripture. We can encourage that seeking friend to pray, to even boldly ask God to reveal himself to them. We can encourage people with some direction to dig into certain parts of the scripture. Uh, recently I had a conversation with a friend who was reading the Bible for the very first time in their life, and I found out they were struggling a bit because you guessed it, What version of the Bible were they reading? Yeah, the King James, which I venerate and hold in great historical regard. However, if that's the first dip you've had into Scripture, it's hard. And so they admitted to me that the language was a bit of a barrier. And I'm thinking, it's the Gospel of John. How can the language be a barrier? Oh, does it sound a bit Shakespearean to you? Yes, it does. I said, oh, can I bring you a different translation? And so I hustled down a more modern translation. It was the New Living Translation to give to them. And suddenly, what do you know? It's a little easier to read. People sometimes need direction. But I think to freely encourage them to dig in, try it out, see where it takes you. There's a lot of different ways we can do that as we're attentive to the Spirit and what's happening in this person's life. All that to say, we watch for those moves to obey and we can encourage them in tangible ways. Because that often demonstrates this person is a potential apprentice of Jesus. And it can lead to massive encounters, massive change. The Holy Spirit can work with that, which leads us to our third point. That is, potential apprentices often experience profound moments of revelation in their lives. Verses 6 to 10. Watch Fort and Simon's life here. Uh, when they had done so, that is when they had let down the nets, like Jesus said, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. Then they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. 
For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. The potential apprentice takes a step of trusting faith and gets way more than he bargained for, right? What was Simon expecting, friends? What was he expecting? Absolutely nothing except another hour washing nets. And what he got wasn't just a nice moderate catch, you know, hey, yeah, I got a few. But an overwhelming abundance. And I, I, like, I love how Luke emphasizes that. You know, these are empty nets that are now beginning to break. These are empty boats that are now so full, they're starting to sink. What beautiful images of abundance, of extravagance. You know, Jesus has met Simon's tentative, but if you say so, with an extraordinary catch of fish. And it's at that moment of encounter when Jesus meets Simon where he's at, that Simon realizes Jesus is way more than just a clever rabbi or a healing prophet. He's holy in a way that makes Simon realize his unholy heart. Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. It's a profound revelation. And what we see is that there is a moment when people do recognize who Jesus is and who they are. And in that moment, sometimes frighteningly, they realize, and there's a problem between who he is and who I am. There's a gap. There's a breakdown. There's something not right here. And Simon recognizes that. And at a basic level, he highlights, I think, two of the most important questions in anyone's life. Who is Jesus and who are you? Who is Jesus and who are we? That's what Simon's highlighting. And he had a lot to learn about what that meant. He had a lot to learn about who is Jesus and who am I. And in his years following Jesus that are then coming, he will learn a lot more about himself, won't he? And about Jesus. He's going to be broken down and fully rebuilt into one of the greatest apostles. But it all started here. You are holy and I am not. You are holy and I am not. But what seems natural to Simon at that moment, that because Jesus is holy, he should be repelled by Simon and want to move away from Simon. That is not what Jesus wants, is it? Hold that. More on that in a moment. I'll come back to it. For now, let's just name this third practical point for us. We don't create the revelation in people's lives. That's the Spirit's job. That encounter with who Jesus is and who they are is something that the Holy Spirit works in Amazing ways as a person seeks and prays and engages the good news of Jesus and comes along with whatever's happening and comes to this understanding. And the timing of how that happens is also beyond our control. But we can engage this encounter through intercessory prayer. We can pray that our friends who are exploring Jesus, who are trying to grapple through this life of faith, who are showing up to hear or engaging us with questions, we can pray that they will be compelled by the witness of the Holy Spirit as they read the Gospels. My friend who's reading the Gospel of John, I'm praying that the Holy Spirit will meet him in a powerful way as he reads this little Gospel of John in the New Living Translation. And yes, the Holy Spirit could have met him through the old King James who I realize that, but hey, sometimes we want to eliminate certain barriers, which I'll also get to in a moment, but we pray for that, Right? We pray that people will be engaging and that there will be this revelation. The Holy Spirit invites us into that. And as the Holy Spirit does, he may invite us to be part of some of the clearing work that needs to be done. Because we might discover that there is something that is preventing a potential apprentice from really seeing Jesus, certain roadblocks, uh, certain obstacles. And sometimes there's a need for what is often called Christian apologetics, which is just helping people clarify what is the good news about Jesus? What do Christians believe? As well as often, what don't they believe? What is not true of the Christian faith? And so by the Holy Spirit, 
We don't create the encounter, but we might be called to engage in some of these things that can prevent people or hold people back. Worldview questions, uh, theological questions, Bible questions. As you are developing in your own faith, your own following of Jesus, it challenges you to keep up, keep studying, keep digging in yourself. We'll also discover that sometimes people get hung up on random stuff that should not be blocking them from Jesus, but it does. Things in culture, things in history, things because they have an uncle, that uncle, you know, whatever it is. And we need to help them overcome these misunderstandings. Let me use an example. I once had a friend who was very interested in Jesus. He attended weekly Bible study with me. He came to church regularly, back in the days where they came more than once a month. He read the books I gave him to read. He showed all the signs of someone who wanted to follow Jesus, except he didn't. He didn't, just stalled out. And that went on and on and on. And I'm trying to think, what is the problem here? What is in the way? And so one day in a longer conversation with him, I realized that he had been told something, something that was not true of the Christian faith, and it was hanging him up big time. In my case, my friend was a working scientist, working in the lab every day, and Uh, his well-meaning Christian in-laws had told him that he could not be a follower of Jesus if he believed in any form of evolution. That evolution of any kind was utterly incompatible with Christianity. Now, that was a problem because he was interested in Jesus, but he kind of thought evolution was real. And so this became an obstacle to him. He thought, well, I can't do it. I just can't do it. They told me I can't. I can't. Now, Whatever you may personally think about evolution, and I suspect there's a broad range here this morning. There is certainly a broad range of Christian perspectives on it. Lots of Christians believe that God used evolution to create the world. And lots of Christians don't believe that. Can I just leave it at that? But by no means is this a gospel issue that you have to believe a certain thing about how exactly God created the world in order to follow Jesus. That is not in the Bible. Christians all profess that God is the creator. That's a given. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heavens and earth. That's non-negotiable. But how God did it exactly, that's up for conversation within the Christian family. And my friend needed someone to help him get around what was essentially a false barrier so that he could follow Jesus. And the Holy Spirit might encourage you in that. Sometimes people need help understanding who God is and who we are, so that they can actually have that encounter. So we look for, we pray for that, we, we, we engage in intercessory prayer, but we're attentive to the way the Holy Spirit may involve us in facilitating that encounter, which is a work of the Holy Spirit. But that encounter, as crucial as it is, as important as it was that Simon recognized who Jesus was and who he was, that doesn't create the apprentice of Jesus. It's actually their response to the encounter that makes or breaks what comes next. And so our fourth point, verses uh, 10 and second half of verse 10 and 11, potential apprentices are eventually confronted with a life-changing decision. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up in the shore, left everything, and followed him, and I bet they didn't wash the nets. (laughs) I love this reassurance of Jesus. This is so much about Jesus and what it means that Jesus is holy. As I've already said, uh, Simon's instinct is that Jesus should move away from him because Jesus is holy and Simon is not. This is logical. Why would someone holy want anything to do with someone unholy, someone sinful? And that recognition on Simon's part is very important. All potential apprentices of Jesus must come to the realization that Jesus is holy, that he is good, that he is perfect, that he is the very son of God, that he is true, and that we are sinful and bent and broken and selfish and wrong and desperately in need of salvation, of help. But in that very moment, when Simon recognizes that, he thinks that Jesus would push away from him. What does Jesus do? First, Jesus soothes Simon's fear. 
He says, don't be afraid, Simon. Your instinct's off. My holiness doesn't cause me to flee. It calls you to follow. And this is important for us to see because it overturns many of our cultural and sometimes Christian views of what holiness means. The holiness of Jesus doesn't cause him to flee. It calls us to follow. That's a big difference. The holiness of Jesus, about which Simon was correct, is not a holiness that gets contaminated by sinful people, but it's a holiness that cleanses sinful people. Do you see the difference? The holiness of Jesus is not something that gets contaminated if it comes into contact with someone who is sinful. Rather, the holiness of Jesus is that which, when it has contact with sinful people, it brings cleansing. We're going to see that in even more stark ways next week as we continue on in the story of Luke. But here, Jesus says, don't be afraid. And then he calls him into a whole new vocation in life. Simon, you fished for fish all your life. What I'm going to show you, what I'm going to show you is the way that you can spend the rest of your life fishing for people. I want you to set your nets on a higher catch. That is the humans I'm after, the apprentices I'm after. Now, we are not sure what Simon thought this meant. We don't know. What we know is that in that moment, Simon made a decision that altered his life and altered yours. The very course of history was shifted in that moment when Simon Peter, along with John and, and James, who are included in the story but really aren't the focus, they're just kind of there, but obviously stuff has happened for them. All three of them pull up their boats, leave everything and follow him because this encounter with Jesus is something that led them to make a choice to follow him. And this is true of all apprentices of Jesus. They don't know all that it means to follow him. I didn't. Did you? Did you know what it would mean for your life when you said yes to following him? Anyone? No, we had no idea. I guarantee you, Simon, of all people, did not know. How is this all going to play out, Jesus? Answer, could you answer a few questionnaires? I got a bit of a questionnaire. No, none of that. Where will this all lead? How will I be changed through this? Did he even understand exactly who Jesus? No, he didn't. He had made a choice to follow him. And that choice can look very different for every apprentice. What doesn't look different is this. At some point, in some way, every potential apprentice comes to the point when they're confronted by a life-changing decision, a make-or-break moment, a time when they have to decide, am I going to trust this Jesus with my life? Am I going to submit to his leadership? Am I going to let him define me? And so Jesus calls and people respond. And our role in this, this is kind of the fourth practical point for us today. Our role in this, I believe, that following the leadership of the Holy Spirit, we need to support people as they listen to Jesus, as they process his call. The Holy Spirit might use you to be part of that call, to, to voice that to them, but ultimately to support them as they wrestle with who Jesus is. And we do so patiently. Sometimes it takes far longer than we think it should take. And we have to have patience from the Holy Spirit. And all the while, extending unconditional love to them. The people that we are with, the potential apprentices that are around us, the friends and family that we love need to know that our love for them is not dependent on whether or not they make the right decision. But we love them, and we stick with them, and we continue to pray for them and encourage them, even if they choose to walk away. And that's hard, but they need to know our love isn't dependent on that. But of course, there'll be many who do not walk away, who will follow Jesus, and they need us to celebrate with them and then partner with them as they explore Jesus' authority over their lives. As they begin to put the pieces together and learn more and discover more, we walk alongside them and, I think, we'll find ourselves challenged to grow in certain ways, to, again, re-engage our own call to follow Jesus, our own boats that we need to abandon, our own vocation as apprentices of Jesus. And I know personally nothing invigorates my walk with Jesus more than walking with someone who is stepping out to follow Jesus for the first time. Well, I want to know if you have any questions this morning, but let me recap before I ask. We're responsible as apprentices of Jesus to identify and encourage other potential apprentices. This is just true. Potential apprentices are first identified by their openness to hearing and their hunger to learn, so we watch for that. And as we see people hearing and learning, we will see them often start to experiment with Jesus. 
you'll see a tentative willingness to trust and obey, to begin to apply things to their lives. And as they step out in what is often tiny faith, Jesus meets them. And people often experience moments of profound revelation with which they need to grapple. And over time, ultimately make the decision, will I follow Jesus? Will I become an apprentice of Jesus? Do you have any questions today about this teaching? I know it's practical. I know that it might be for some of you uh, old hat and for some of you brand new. But do you have any clarifying questions? If you could keep it fairly brief, I'll repeat it for those who are with us online so that they hear it. And then I'll try my best to respond briefly as well. Any questions? It's been a while since I've asked for questions, so you're all just thinking, what's going on? Who's going to break the ice? Yeah, Norm. How do you manage questions or, uh, do that first part again? Errors. Yeah, errors, or you're in conversation with someone and they, they say something that's just not true or completely false or maybe bent in some way. How do you address those? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, so that's a great question, Norm, because if we have, well, frankly, if I have conversations with lots of people, I have to ask that same question. Who, people who are followers of Jesus, I have to sometimes weigh out like, okay, is this one I'm going to fight about today? Or is this one I'm going to offer some correction today or am I going to let that go? So that's, that's something we have to discern by the Holy Spirit. When we're talking with someone who's new, who's just exploring for the first time, they're going to say lots of stuff that's wrong. And I expect that. And so for me, the challenge is to listen, be praying, I mean, pray before you go into the conversation, pray during the conversation, to be attentive to, like, what's the, what's the main thing I need to focus on here? Because if I were to attempt to chase down every rabbit trail, or every potentially odd thing that's said, we might not keep on the main thing. And so I want to always make sure, like, what's my main purpose here? My main purpose, so for example, uh, the lunch I had this week, my main purpose is to actually to walk away from that conversation and him wanting to have more conversation. That's one. Second would be to just inspire him to keep like reading the gospel and, 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 and uh, gospel of John in this case and, and, and exploring who Jesus is. So I want to make sure that whatever I'm doing, that is being facilitated. And then there are times when for me, there'll be things that are said that might be incorrect that I think, well, that'll, that'll be corrected later. I'm not worried about that. There are times though when something's said in particular that I'm like, oh, this will really help them if I talk about how, how Christians understand that? Or can I share with you my perspective as a Christian? And it might be something that just helps, um, helps move them a little bit to a clearer understanding because it's something that might hurt their understanding or, or not help them move forward in the main thing. So that's my, when I'm talking with someone, is I'm just trying to remember what's really important here. I mean, I have conversations with people and there's all the hot button issues you can imagine, right, that come up on all the subjects that you and I never want to talk about or some of you always want to talk about, but you know what I'm saying. And I have to make a choice in those conversations too, like, okay, we could do that, but that might mean that like for the next half an hour, we're talking about that. And I don't want to talk about that today. I want to talk about Jesus. And so I, you have to weigh by the Holy Spirit's direction, like weigh how much of this do I want uh, we have an hour lunch. How much of this do I want to be sucked up by that conversation? If I don't, I just sidestep it and move on. And the Holy Spirit will give you wisdom on that because you want to keep the main thing, the main thing. And especially if someone is new and exploring faith for the first time, there's only one main thing. His name is Jesus. That's it. I, I don't care about anything else. That's the main thing, right? And so anything I can do to facilitate that step forward is what I want to do. It takes wisdom. Sometimes there's mistakes that are made and you, you swing back, but that's to me the heart of it. Yeah. Hold on.
Right, so what about someone who already has an idea about Jesus that is not compatible with the Jesus of the Gospels? And um, that's usually true, because unless you've really had your head in the sand somewhere, you're going to have some cultural understanding of Jesus. I personally, I don't worry that much about it. And the reason why is I believe that whatever cultural assumption somebody's carrying about Jesus, and there really are only a few, you know, the broad, oh, he's a good guy and good teacher and, you know, whatever. Um, I'm convinced that if they'll, for example, read the Gospels, the Holy Spirit will help reveal who Jesus is. Like, I have a confidence, we, we can have a confidence that the Holy Spirit will lead them. And then, of course, I want to be part of that conversation, and we want to be part of that conversation. And so, people will say odd things about Jesus, about God. I, my, you know, one of my favorite questions when people talk about God in ways that I don't agree with, I'll often say, oh, that's interesting, I don't believe in that God, or whatever. Or when someone says they believe in God, and, but I'm sensing that they mean something very different, I'll often ask very gently, which God do you believe in? Which is usually the first time anyone's ever asked them that question. And then we can have an honest conversation about the fact that the word G-O-D is a fairly empty box. You can fill it with anything you want to. When we say God, we mean the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ as defined by the person of Jesus and written in scripture. So we have, a de- we have a lot of definition around that, but the word G-O-D in culture can mean anything. And often, because of how he's been interpreted or seen, the person of Jesus can be a fairly empty box too, is more definition. But, um, and so we want to just trust the Holy Spirit's at work, share personally your story, like, oh, that's not what I think about Jesus. This is how I, this is, I actually think he rose again from the dead or whatever, you know. But if they're already moving to engage in Scripture, already moving to read the Gospels, for example, trust the Holy Spirit's going to be at work with that. So you can kind of not be anxious about it. That's what I'd say. That's what I'd say. One more question? Yes, Lisa. So you direct people to Scripture. Mm-hmm. I do. Do I ever have a favorite resource is the question related to, like, obviously I point people to Scripture. Do I have a favorite resource? And sometimes I will, you know, as you get to know the person, that resource might shift depending on, like, where that person's at, what, what would best serve them, which I think is an encouragement for all of us to keep reading, keep, keep, keep reading, you know, broadly, keep growing. I read books all the time that are, in a sense, not for me. And so the other day with, with my, my new friend, um, you know, the classic is Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. Have you all read that? If you haven't, you should. Okay? Well, it turns out he already had read it. Oh! Yeah. And so I realized, um, okay, got to change my tactic now. No. I read a book not too long ago by James Emery White called Christianity for Those Who Aren't Christians. And it's excellent. So uh, as soon as I got home after lunch this week, Amazon got a click. And I got two coming in the mail. One for him and which one of you need to give it to a friend? I've got a second copy. So uh, Christianity, for those who aren't Christians, is an excellent introduction and I think would be just right for him. But sometimes it's something different, right? So there's a few others, um, depending on their uh, place in life, sometimes the story of someone uh, who has come to faith uh, can be very, very powerful. Um, like a biography story can be very, very helpful. Um, sometimes it, if I've had a particular conversation about something that is bothering them, uh, uh, there might be uh, another kind of resource. But typically, Mere Christianity is a good one with certain cultural caveats. It's an old book, written a long time ago. Um, but uh, And then books like Christianity for Those Who Aren't Christians. Um, and then uh, James Emery White very helpfully wrote a companion volume to that, um, uh, which, I gave, which I gave to Tony um, when, when she was baptized, called After I Believe, which is really, really helpful. Just very basic, written very much for the people who that. So those are some practical things. Um, but do that along with conversation. And, uh, and, uh, and if, if, you, know, you can ask around to see what's helped others, and uh, that'll be helpful. Great. Awesome. Keep asking those questions. Let me, uh, I've given you practical steps all along the way. I hope you caught some of that. But I want to close with two practical ways that we can pray. The first one is to pray for each other, who are already what I want to say are operational apprentices. That is, if you are here today or online and you say, I'm already a follower of Jesus, you are an apprentice of his. And so I encourage you to pray for each other. 
that we would have hearts and eyes to actually see those around us who are potential apprentices. To see that hunger in the heart, that flicker in the eyes, and to be willing to engage a potential apprentice of Jesus. Also, as we pray for another, I think you can see it's important that we are vitally following Jesus ourselves, that we are growing more deeply in the knowledge of who God is and who we are, knowledge of the scripture and a more robust theology. Because much of the questions that people are having, much of the cultural confusion around Jesus and the Christian faith has been well answered by our brothers and sisters, both historically and in contemporary. And it's on us as apprentices of Jesus to actually know that stuff. We can. And so we need to pray for one another for a deepening in our own faith so that we are more adequately equipped to walk alongside potential apprentices. We're responsible for that. The question is, are we the kind of apprentices that are actually wanting to become more proficient in our trade, in the trade of Jesus? So pray for one another. I encourage you right now to think in your mind, who are the three people I want to pray for who are already followers of Jesus? Three people. Are you thinking of them? Okay, who's the first one? Don't say it out loud. Who's the first one? that I'm going to pray for this week. Who's that first one? Got him? Got him? Okay, who's, who's the second one? If you're not writing this down, you better have a really good memory. And who's the third? Three people right now that you're going to pray for this week for a deepening in their faith, for eyes to see those who are around them who are asking the right question, to walk alongside and create encourage, identify potential apprentices of Jesus. And so the first one is that we simply pray for each other. You can do that. You need to do that. I need you to do it for me. We need to do it for each other. The second, of course, is that we actually pray for potential apprentices. Maybe you have them in your life already. Pray for them. Pray for them by name. At the start of my prayer list, you know I have a prayer list. I look at it every day, pray for it every day. At the top of my prayer list, there's a, I, I kind of chunk things up. I rewrite it every month or so. There's a chunk where I have all these names of people that are in my, I didn't write this at the top, but you know, they're my potential apprentices. I'm praying for them regularly. I'm asking the Holy Spirit to reveal himself to them, to, 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 to help them see and engage them in some way, and help me engage them. Pray for potential apprentices who are on this journey. Pray for insight for them. Pray for understanding. Pray for protection from stupidity and lies. Maybe even pray for protection from them from a few Christians that you know. I don't know. You can pray for them, that they would be covered, that there would be guidance from the Holy Spirit, that, that their heart and mind would be drawn to read the scripture, um, and that, that their eyes would see a thing on YouTube and they wouldn't click on it because that guy's crazy and he won't help them. You know what I'm saying? You pray for the Holy Spirit to lead and guide them into the truth of who Jesus is as you walk alongside them as potential apprentices. Pray for them, pray for them, pray for them. And so I want to ask you, if you have those potential apprentices in your life, in your mind right now, do you have three? Maybe you only have one, I don't know. But name them in your mind right now. And if you've got a second, name them too. And if you have a third, put a name on them too. Now, you maybe don't have three. Or maybe you have three easily, but you still want to pray, who else is it? Who else is it in my life, in my family, in my neighborhood, in my workplace? Who else is it, Lord, that is a potential apprentice? Give me eyes to see them. Pray for them too, even if you don't know who they are yet. So we should all be leaving today with six-ish names. Three people that you're going to be praying for who are already apprentices of Jesus and three potential apprentices. And I challenge you to commit to pray for them every day this week at least. Now I encourage you to keep praying for them daily. But for now I'm asking you to take the next seven days and pray for these six names. Let the Holy Spirit lead you and guide you.
Crystal and Amanda are going to come. We're going to lead you in one final song. And as they do, let's pray now. Lord Jesus, you've called us to create apprentices in your name. You who have all authority on heaven and earth commanded us to go and make disciples of all the nations, teaching them, teaching them your ways, what it means to obey and follow you and baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so creating new apprentices is part of our responsibility and we take that seriously. And right now, all of us have identified people in our lives that we want to hold up to you. And we do that now. We first pray for those three apprentices of yours, children of yours, followers of yours. We hold them up to you right now and ask that by your Holy Spirit, you would deepen their love for you, deepen their understanding of what it means to follow you, and that they would more faithfully be witnessing and living in a a beautiful way with their neighbors and friends, a way that draws people to you, Jesus. We lift them up to you, ask for your protection, your guidance, your wisdom. Lord, we also hold up to you potential apprentices, people in our lives and our family who do not yet follow you. Maybe we've seen the signs of a hunger, of an interest, of an awareness, of a desire. We hold them up to you and ask Holy Spirit that you would surround them and lead them to the full saving knowledge of your son, Jesus. Father, we ask that we would be faithful, but we ask that we would see, we would see people caught in the net of your love and your power and your grace. We would see an abundance, nets breaking and boats full of people who are discovering who you are and who they are in you. And so we pray for these potential apprentices and I pray that you would challenge us and lead us as a congregation to be faithful in prayer for each other and for those you are drawing to yourself. Jesus, we love you. You are amazing. We look to you as the one who leads us forward, who makes a way where there is no way and draws us after you. Pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening in today. We hope you feel encouraged and challenged. If you know someone who would benefit from what you have heard today, please share this podcast. For more information, or if you have questions, you can connect with us through our website, ericksoncovenant.ca. You can also find us on Facebook by searching for Erickson Covenant Church.